Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 137. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope everyone's surviving the final stretches of winter okay. Last Sunday, we had this like beautiful sunny day. It was like 16 degrees and Celsius for our American listeners. And everyone here in Toronto was like, oh, yay, winter's over. It's springtime. And I'm like, I'm always, it always happens in March. In March, we have this like one nice week or whatever. And everyone thinks that winter's over. And then it just slaps you in the face again. March is that like weird month where it teases you. On Saturday, my girlfriend and I tried to go skating at City Hall. And in the walk from the parking spot to the rink, it was like traversing an Arctic mountain blizzard. And so we actually just bailed and went and ate food instead. Because we're like, why are we putting ourselves through this? But also, we just have this terrible luck of whenever we choose to do something outdoors, it's always on like the coldest day of the year. (laughs) But it wasn't just cold on Saturday. It was like windy. Like it was windy and blizzardous to like it yeah it's like what you see in the movies for those of you not in toronto who don't understand (laughs) anyways if you don't want to be outdoors be inside and listen to a podcast today because today we have a really cool episode for you of course We've got Canadian musician Kevin Hearn on the podcast today, most notably a member of the band Bare Naked Ladies. But Kevin also does so much more. And today we're actually talking about one of his solo projects that he created over the course of the pandemic. It's called There and Then Solo Piano Improvisations, which is a very descriptive title because the album is completely improvised which Kevin will explain in more detail in the interview, but basically the gist of it is he recorded three sessions of three hours on three random pianos across Montreal, and the album was made over the course of those three sessions. Another cool aspect of this album is the artwork is also improvised, and it's done by Willow Downey, who of course is the daughter of the late, tragically hip singer Gord Downey. And if you've listened to the Bare Naked Ladies at all over their quarter-century-long career, you know that they are just fun-loving, light-hearted, easy-going guys, and Kevin is exactly that. He is a blast to talk to. We found out almost immediately that we have this mutual love for the Muppets, which ends up being this running theme throughout the, the episode. He's just a really, really nice dude. I don't know how else better to put it. He also has the coolest crib. We recorded this episode at his place, which is this sweet downtown loft in Toronto. It has super high ceilings, and it's just filled with amazing music, uh, instruments, and art. And it was really, really cool to get to be there. So thank you again, Kevin, for having me over, and thank you again for doing this episode. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this intro today because we have a lot to talk to Kevin about. If this is your first time listening to the Adamantium podcast today, well, first of all, thank you so much for tuning in, and we would love for you to join us again. Please do hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast network you choose to get your podcasts. You can also follow the Adamantium podcast on social media. We are on Instagram at the Adamantium, on Facebook at the Adamantium podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. But you can also find us just by searching the Adamantium podcast. All right, so let's get into today's episode with Kevin Hearn of the Bare Naked Ladies right here on episode 137 of the Adamantium podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Quick side note, if you have time, check out Turning Red on Disney+. Plus. takes place right here in Toronto. Super cute animated film. Anyways, love you all, and we'll see you back here on the Adamantium Podcast real soon. So we're here with, with Kevin Hearn. Thank you again for uh, for joining me. My pleasure. And thank you for having me here. Um, I've spent the last, I mean, the last few minutes just admiring your place, and you've told me about some of the pieces, which is, um, and actually one of the other things I wanted to ask about, but I wanted to save it while we we're on the recording, is okay. I noticed the Muppet. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Muppet on top of on top of the table. Yeah, that's. I think I've f- seen it in a video before. Have I not? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've used it in uh, one of the. BNL selfie cam jams. Yes, yeah. yeah. 
some of my Instagram posts. He's just sort of a, you know, studio buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I ask, I ask because I'm a big fan of the Muppets, and you I are? also have my own Muppet. Really? I do. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So, in are we rolling now? We are rolling. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I, Muppet uh, confessions. Yeah, that's it. That's how we're starting this off. <laughs> the icebreaker. You know, you remember, do you remember the store FAO Schwartz in New York, the toy store? Yes. So they used to have a Muppet building workshop. That's there. where I got him. That's where you got him. Yeah. That's where I got my guy too. You built your own. I did build there. my own Muppet. Wasn't yeah. that great? Yeah, it was the best. Yeah, it was the best. In, one of the best investments I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> so what does your what does your Muppet look like? You know, what? there's a story behind my Muppet too, actually, okay. because I discovered that they had this in New York. I was going to visit a friend in New York, and I sent her a message saying we need to go do this when I'm there, yeah. and she replied like 100% yes. So I kind of like fiddled around online they had all the bits online and I had like a few concepts that I went with and I got there and half the things I had picked where they were out of stock of and I was so defeated and I was like well I guess this isn't happening and my friend was like well why don't you see what you can make with what they do have and so I just started fiddling around with what we what they had there. I like your friend. That's yeah. a good attitude. She, it was the right attitude. Usually that's my more, I'm not usually the fetus, but she was like, why don't we see what we can make from here? And anyways, what we made ended up better than what I had had or come up with before. Anyways, so we named him Uncle Carl. And that's, <laughs> Uncle Carl is in my studio. Oh, yeah? Cool. Yeah. So. Well, mine is uh, modeled after Allen Ginsberg. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the, the, the work that we came to talk about, and that's your, your new solo record um, that came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called There and Then, Solo Piano Improvisations. Um, and the amazing thing about this album is it actually is completely improvised. Um, and one thing I didn't know before um, the project was presented to me was that you worked with Mark Howard on this. Yeah. Uh, and Mark, Mark has been on this podcast. Oh, he has? He has, yeah, oh. when he was um, writing Listen Up. Oh, cool. His book, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so I wanted to start with, uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship with Mark and how this kind of idea sparked between the two of you. Sure. Back in 2019, I helped put on a restaging of the Secret Path show at Roy Thompson Hall, and there, which was Gord Downey's uh, project and record. And there was just a wonderful group of musicians involved. Um, and we had an after-show sort of party event. And... I was sitting there, it had been a long few days, so I just sat down and was just sort of holding court. And uh, this fellow approached me, uh, who I didn't know, mm -hmm. and introduced himself as Mark and uh, said that he knew I was a cancer survivor and that he mm -hmm. was also a cancer survivor yeah. just recently. So we got into that kind of discussion that, uh, you know, cancer survivors can have you know yeah. you can go pretty deep and uh even though each um experience is different there's a lot of uh similarities and things you can talk about so we talked about that for you know 20 minutes and, and i said so what do you do mark and he's like well i'm in the music business i'm a producer engineer I said, oh, cool. Well, have you worked with anyone you know, <laughs> I might know? Yeah. He goes, yeah, um, I worked with um, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Tom Waits, Willie Nelson, Emmylou Harris, yeah. Tragically Hip. I was like, oh. Oh, a couple <laughs> yeah. local bands. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, why did <laughs> Yeah, so I was a little, uh, okay, that's strange. And then I said, well, it's interesting we're meeting because I, you know, Bare Naked Ladies are about to make a new record and we're looking for someone to help us record. So he ended up helping us record uh, for the first wave of our record. Mm -hmm. And that's how that that's started. How, that's, it's funny, that's actually when I met Mark, too, was in oh, 2019. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting. Where did you meet him? Well, it was someone put us in contact because I was that was my second season of the podcast at that time. And they said, mm -hmm. look, Mark's, hey, we have, I have 
I have this friend, Mark Howard, who is putting out a book. And uh, one of the things that I was most, obviously his repertoire of the people he's worked with, um, also his phenomenal story being a cancer survivor. Um, but one thing that sparked me, I'm a massive U2 fan. Oh, yeah. And right. he worked with U2, I think on Akitong Baby even, I think yeah. it was. And um, so he had some great stories um, about working on that album too, and he has so he, good stories. He has some yeah. great stories. Yeah, so he came. He came over to my place. We we did it at my place. Okay. And um, yeah, I love. I, and I think we we at least did an hour, hour and a half of. He had so many good stories, like you said. Yeah, I think Mark also worked with Brian Eno, and mm-hmm. a pianist named Harold Budd. Okay. And that sort of aesthetic really lent well right. to this project. But when we were working with BNL, we were living to. We were all living together. And, you know, I'd come up in the morning and just warm up on the piano. And Mark would say, well, what is that you're playing? That's nice. Mm-hmm. I'd say, I don't know. It's yeah. just making it up. Next morning, okay, what's that? I don't know. Yeah. Just making it up. And he said, let's make a record like that. Yeah. I oh, interesting. So that's how that started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then tell me how the, the pieces came together. So, I mean, let's let's explain for the listener. I mean, I've read about it, but from your words, let's explain to the listeners the concept behind the album. Sure. Well, when Mark approached me months later and said, I was serious about that record. Do you mm-hmm. want to do it? I said, well, I've always had this idea. And I know Mark doesn't like working in um, conventional studios. He likes mm-hmm. going and finding a location. And so it kind of fit with what I'd been imagining, which was... Uh, let's find sort of haunted places, haunted hotels where there's an old piano mm-hmm. and tune it up and, and feel off of the feel the energy in the room and sort of bounce off of it. Because it was uh, COVID, we couldn't really travel around too much. Mm-hmm. So he sourced out three places in uh, Quebec so we could just drive there and do three days. So we had three different locations. One was a church that was closed down one was a hotel that was closed down and one was a home studio and so we did three days three hours on three different pianos and so Mark did you know where the places were beforehand or did Mark just say here here's where you're going and you just showed up and fed off the kind of the the energy Uh, yeah there was no restaurants open you know mm. we couldn't hang out so know? what point yeah what point was this when you were doing the the actual recording uh, well he would text me and say okay I'm gonna set up the piano tomorrow uh, maybe come around uh, 10 30 mm-hmm. and uh, here's the address okay when did you guys actually do the recording um, well I would wake up and I'd the first day was at the church in Montreal and mm-hmm. I I walked through Montreal, and I lived in Montreal till I was five. Then okay. my family moved here, so I had some sort of some memories there. Okay, you know of of the big snowbanks and mm-hmm. this babysitter I had named Mrs. Creamer who would always okay. drink whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> and I think she got in trouble for letting me like drink a bit of whiskey once. But, okay, uh, it was like <laughs> a lot of just. Walking through Montreal and thinking those, yeah, and then walk into that church and that big space. And I said hello to Mark, and I was like, We ready? Goes, so it was just the two of you kind of there. And the two of us and the piano tuner would right. be around sometimes too, but okay. I was very like, I don't want to talk to anyone, mm-hmm. I don't even want to talk to you, Mark. You know, yeah, like, that's that was one of the questions I had. Were you ever, I guess, there was you never had to worry about any kind of interruptions happening mid-session uh you can hear on the record you can hear a truck once in a while okay. or yeah, something yeah. a door closing and, yeah yeah but because everything was shut down and everyone was sort of isolating mm-hmm. i mean there was no one in the church except there was a uh like a custodian who i think reprimanded mark for for lighting all the candles <laughs> he said those candles are kind of just for show for, okay yeah. <laughs> so we could have some lit but some we had to blow out okay you can't let candles be candles so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Mark's like a pyromaniac he's um, like just lit everything he wanted to create a mood you know so yeah, I of walked course. in and it was beautiful and 
I grew up in a church choir, you know, singing St. Michael's Cathedral. So mm-hmm. I was used to that environment. And um, the the natural reverb in the place really sort of affected how I played because I couldn't play a lot of dense um, movement on the piano. So it's like very, you know, n- single notes mm-hmm. and very slow and relaxing and peaceful and just trying to um, connect with all the feelings that I that I had after being sort of in lockdown for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when starting the project in, in your opinion, what, what was kind of the most important element that you wanted to uh, represent? Um, I think I just wanted to make something uh, beautiful and peaceful that could um, help people mm-hmm. go on a little trip you know and yeah. drift away to mm-hmm. and join you on that kind of um it's almost a bit spiritual you know especially considering where some of them were recorded hey thank you yeah um were you ever a bit nervous or worried like because it was all improvised like what if inspiration doesn't hit me today you know yeah of course yeah okay so what did you do to kind of calm those jitters I'd say to myself, you know, this is the universe introduced me to Mark, Mm -hmm. and here we are, and I just got to rise up to the occasion Mm -hmm. and do the best I can and Mm -hmm. get a good sleep and have a nice, you know, morning ritual before I go in there. And I also comforted myself in a sense because I say if it's shit, I just won't put it out. You know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, the, I mean, the nice part of it is there was, I guess, at least nine hours of recording that you can pull from. Yeah. Um, did the locations lend a big hand in the inspiration of what the finished product was? Yeah, definitely. The cathedral brought back a lot of memories mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of inspiring to be in that space. Uh, the hotel was cool because it was in the Quebec countryside, mm-hmm. which was pretty and uh, peaceful. And then the home studio, the piano was just, it was a fazioli, and it's maybe the nicest piano I've ever played. It was just a dream. So who's, um, whose home studio was it? Uh, a fellow named Pierre Marchand. Okay. Yeah. Who's and how, a, did, how did Mark come across him? Uh, I think they've worked together. They worked together previously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So then tell me a little bit about the process of now you've got like nine hours. Of and when I say home studio, I don't mean it was in his living room. Right, right. Like, yeah, like know. a proper, of course. Yeah. yeah, it was a private studio. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, so then tell me about the process now. You have nine hours of, of content. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the process of kind of picking pieces out, um, deciding this is going to be a track, you know, naming it? What was the, what was the process there? Uh, Mark would go through what we did after each day and sort of trim away the the ones that obviously didn't work, Mm -hmm. um, but also ones that perhaps didn't fit the general Mm -hmm. mood of the record that seemed to be appearing as we went. And he would send me the ones that he liked and... um, I would listen as well, and we would just compare notes and sort of trim it down that way each time. Mm-hmm. And then what about, you know, what about naming? Did you have an idea as you were playing, like, this is what this reminds me, or did you kind of listen to it after and then start coming up with the track names? A bit of both. A bit of both, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, do you think, I guess, you know, you know, we kind of talked about having a, earlier with the, actually with the Muppet, like the positive mm-hmm. out of a bad situation. Do you yeah. think that, you know, um, a piece like this, a, a project like this, you, you may not have had it should have had it not been for the pandemic. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I was kind of like a product of, of its time. Very much, you know, with, with all that time as a songwriter, you know, you, you immediately think, oh, I should be writing songs during this and make a record. Mm-hmm. You know, I have all this time. Mm-hmm. But all the things that you're facing emotionally in the pandemic, like I couldn't hug my daughter. She she lives at a home. She's special needs. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hug my daughter. I was up north and I, I um, was sort of isolating up there and improvising every morning as sort of part of my morning routine but 
it felt like a real, um, yeah, su- a surprising blessing to be mm-hmm. able to do it this way because I was still creating something, still putting something out, and it was definitely was cathartic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was totally different. Never done anything like it. So also, like again, it's kind of like making a good use of those those feelings, you know, that feelings that could have only come up in this kind of <laughs> horrible situation, but yeah. kind of made the best thing from it. Yeah, I made the best Muppet I could <laughs> with one eyeball. One eyeball. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine doesn't have quite as much to show for, but... <laughs> um, What's your name, Big Larry? No, Uncle Carl. Oh, yeah, Uncle, Uncle Carl. Carl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. he's, been a, he's been a member of the household for, like, he's going on almost 10 years now. <laughs> you should have brought him over. Man. I didn't know I would have if I knew there would have been a, a Muppet friend here. <laughs> um, I'll, maybe I'll say you a photo of uncle carl later okay uh, that first year i was i love uncle carl i made christmas cards out of him one oh, year yeah? <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if they still do that at uh at no, well fao schwartz closed oh it did it did yeah oh. and i think they reopened a smaller kind of location somewhere else but that classic uh, central park location closed down yeah wow yeah i don't That's know what bad. went there or if they yeah um but yeah it is too bad i mean that was um I mean, that always reminds me of Big, the Tom Hanks movie. Oh, is that where that was filmed? The, the piano scene, yeah, where he's stepping on the piano was in F.A.O. Schwartz. I'm just looking up, uh, trying to find a name of my friend. I have a friend who does the, the Muppets. Um, he does Kermit and The Count. And he took over for Carrie Spinney, uh, Big Bird. Oh, like doing The Voice? Yeah, and, and the puppetry. Oh, the puppetry. Yeah. Okay. But the voice as well. Yeah. So do the people who do the puppetry also do the voice? Is it the same person or? In this case, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Interesting. Oh, I think so. I think Jim Henson was, you know. Of course. Yeah. 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 But he was a, a Bare Naked Ladies fan and he came and, and did a concert with us um, when we played our song 789 from our Snack Time record mm-hmm. and he did the count. Okay. And it was amazing doing sound check. Yeah. You know, one minute we're talking to him and then he sets up this little thing and then opens a case and there is the fucking count. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. That's the best. He takes the count out and then he disappears and he looks at me and he says, hello, Kevin. Yeah. (laughs) It was just amazing. One of my favorite, like probably one of the things that my friends find the most annoying, but it's like. The count is like one of the things I do to aggravate my friends. Oh, really? Like, oh, is there any <laughs> cookies left? We'd be like, oh, yeah, there's two cookies left. And I'd be like, two, uh, uh, two cookies left. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's And good. they just roll their eyes at me now, but yeah. <laughs> um, That's good. Tyler, do, Tyler does that to us. Does he? Yeah, yeah. I imagine if you were the count, that you would do it to everything. <laughs> yeah. We, we had this long drive from the venue to the hotel, and it was only long because there were so many speed bumps between the two. And Tyler decided every speed bump, he went, three, three speed bumps. <laughs> <laughs> we all, were all laughing the whole yeah. way because of it. It was amazing. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. What a great... I, didn't, I did not expect that coming here today. Oh. We're going to have some great Muppet stories. <laughs> well, we're Muppet fans. That's I mean, it. Yeah. I'd... I think non-Muppet fans just don't get it. You know, like what... Yeah. There is, like, if you, if you grew up on the Muppets, then it's almost like it's a... A culture, you know, like even look at Jason Siegel who brought them back and did the new oh, Muppet right. movie. Yeah. Um, well, Sesame Street was one thing, but then the Muppets, you had just a little more uh, edgy humor. Yeah, there was something about the, I don't know, but it was just like, it's it stuck with me my whole life, you know? <laughs> it was my, my mom used to say that it was the only way she ever got anything done around the house was when the Muppets were on television. And so she says, "Oh, because you'd be trans- when I was a kid. Yeah, when I was a kid, yeah. I was two year old. I was I was a handful. And they always had classy, like great artists on all the time. Yeah, you remember they- Alice Cooper, Alice, Co- yeah, <laughs> like so- Roger Moore, and uh-huh. like yeah. So, and then even when they brought it, they they brought it back on ABC or something, and they did a it did a season. But like I think they had like Tina Fey on and oh yeah, everybody yeah, so." 
But uh, anyway, speaking of inspiration, actually, that's a good segue into my next question. Okay. There's, and you mentioned it before we started, um, there's a song on the album called Lou. Right. Um, yeah. Which is inspired by one of your musical heroes, which is Lou Reed. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit, and now you've, you've worked and, and toured with, with Lou. So tell me, first of all, what is it about his style that you draw the most inspiration from? Uh, I th- well, I think of him primarily as a poet, and I've always loved his lyrics. And I, I loved that he was groundbreaking in the sense that he was writing about sort of difficult aspects of life that weren't really talked about, mm-hmm. especially in, um, you know, rock, rock music. Mm-hmm. And... So I found him very brave in that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to the day he died, he was doing doing that. So I find there's, there's a lot of similarities, I think, in my opinion, to him and, and Bob Dylan mm-hmm. um, in the poetry aspect, but the, in the unconventional type of vocals. And um, like you said, like writing music about things that most people don't do in that genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dylan's a, you know, of course a poet too, but he's sort of more along the lines of like beat poets, mm-hmm. uh, Ginsberg and Kerouac. That's sort of what he sprung out of. Lou kind of sprung out of, um, like Chandler and, um, who's the guy? Burroughs, William mm-hmm. Burroughs, you know, darker, a bit darker and grittier. Mm-hmm. But um, I know um, Lou had uh, so much respect for Bob Dylan mm-hmm. and loved his work. So tell me when you, you know, your experience with Lou and touring with Lou, what, um, what did you, what did you take away from that experience? Um, so much. He treated me like a son, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he was very loving and he was a very good friend and... He was also probably the funniest person I've ever met. Okay. (laughs) And so I have just so many fond memories and stories that make me laugh, you Mm -hmm. know, and uh, I think think about him every day, and um, I just remember those stories and have a good laugh, you know. So what, what about this piece reminded you of Lou? Well, I didn't call it Lou till afterwards, but I... I was in the church, and it's one of the two songs on the record that has uh, a vocal on it. And mm-hmm. I, but I'm just singing and letting it ring out and playing chords that that work. Um, but often, when you at a at one of Lou's live shows, you would hear this sound in the crowd, and it almost sounded like they were booing, mm-hmm. and you would hear ooh, oh, yeah, yeah. But they were saying Lou, yeah. And I always found that kind of funny. Uh, same with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Whenever people yell Bruce, I was like, sounds yeah. like they're booing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I thought, oh, that kind of sounds like Lou. Yeah. And I thought, what a, a, a nice way to just sort of pay a subtle tribute yeah. to him. So um, I, I was curious, just in, in the title track, there's an apostrophe in the... Yeah. What's what's the significance of that? Well, because I recorded in uh, Quebec. Because ah, yeah. I'm singing ooh. Yeah. I thought it'd be like the ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. I like that, actually. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that, that's uh, very clever. But, you know, because I felt a little self-conscious about calling it Lou. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't want to appear to be... You know, Didn't he do an album with Metallica, even? He did, called yeah. Lulu. Yeah, yeah, that was... I remember when that came out. That was, And it was so unexpected. And it was cool, though. It was really cool. That's what I loved, is that those two guys, or the band and mm-hmm. Lou, they went, let's just go in and, and try, do something Make together. Something. Yeah. yeah, it's... And I, you know, you don't see that as much these mm-hmm. days, I don't think. No, no. Yeah. yeah, there was another cool, and it's on my mind because he just put out a book, but Dave Grohl did this side project, a band called Them Crooked Vultures, and it right. was him and Josh Homie from Queens of Stone Age and John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin, and they just went and made an album. I know, I love stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. then they only ever did one album, they did it once, and, and, and it was incredible. And uh, Is it good? I don't know. It is really yeah, good, yeah. Okay. Well, I got really lucky, actually. I was in 
they did a tour with it even. Oh. And they played the Metropolis while I was there, and, and we went. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, you're seeing Dave Grohl, Josh Homme, and, Homme and, and John Paul Jones all at once. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd be thrilled just to see John Paul Jones. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then Dave Grohl recently did like, uh, like a all... Bee Gees, a Bee Gees really? album. Yeah, with this band. Really? Yeah, the Foo Fighters, but they did all Bee Gees covers. Really? Yeah, that's super. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah. So the Bee Gees Greatest Hits was one of the first CDs I ever owned. My dad was a huge Bee Gees fan. Awesome. Yeah, that's like what he grew up on. And so he, when I first got a CD player, that was his first CD he gave me was the Bee Gees greatest hit. So <laughs> I would love to hear the Foo Fighters playing the Bee Gees. That's yeah. uh, amazing. That's out there. Yeah. He's also putting out a horror movie that comes out this week. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if I'm going to go see that. Yeah, I'm curious <laughs> about it. I'm curious about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. With with that and the album and, and uh, the book, everyone's kind of got a Dave Grohl story right now, which is kind of cool. I like it. It reminds me of Kiss Meets the Phantom or something. Yeah. <laughs> did they do a... I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I feel like Kiss has done one of everything at yeah, least. Yeah, they did it way back. They did a horror movie? I mean, they, they kind of suited for a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. I think it was terrible. Probably. <laughs> but, did, but did you ever see Detroit Rock City? No. Oh, Detroit Rock City is a great... It was like a very 90s top, or early 2000s, very product of its time. But it's like that trying to think of what it compared like a teen adventure movie where it's like these four boys trying they can't get tickets to this sold out kiss concert and they you know all the adventures they go on to make their way to detroit and get into the concert sounds fun it is fun it is fun if you haven't seen it it is kind of a you should watch it okay it's kind of a uh what's the um reminds me of um Shoot the class. What's the movie where the they find the dead body? The four boys find the dead body. Oh, and um, that's Stand by Me. Stand by Me. That's it. Okay. It kind of reminds me of that type of story, but obviously <laughs> much <laughs> less serious. Uh, a little less dark. A little less. Well, yeah. There's some. There's some dark moments I think in it, but <laughs> it's interesting. Bob Ezrin produced a Kiss record, I think, back in the '80s, mm-hmm. and Lou Reed actually co-wrote a couple songs really yeah wow yeah weird yeah but that's cool like we said you know just to work with just do a Mm -hmm. piece with anybody here and there just make some make some music you never Um, know tell me about there's another song on the album called Green Church okay um, that I read an interesting that was inspired by a place in I hope I'm saying it right Lanai 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 yeah Hawaii And you yeah. discovered it on a hike. And I saw the... the I, I wasn't sure if it was a photo or a recreation. It was a photo, but I took it at night. So okay. it's got oh, a weird sort yeah, of... Oh, yeah, it's got the... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, uh, I mean, the the church and why it stuck with you. And then what made you think of it again when you created this piece? Well, I like the mood of that photo. But the real green church uh, was... Uh, hiking in Lanai through the forest mm-hmm. there up in the hills and um, feeling a really nice connection there. Uh, it was so peaceful. And um, so that's what I was thinking of, both the the photo of the church and the just the feeling I had hiking there. And, and that's what I was sort of feeding off of on that particular mm-hmm. improv. Wow. That's one of my bucket list places. To go to Hawaii? To hike in Hawaii, yeah. yeah. To I want to kind of just rent a vehicle and get lost. <laughs> Go to Lanai, man. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So which island is Lanai on? Well, that's the island. Lanai. Uh, the island is sorry. The, that is. Yeah, and it's um, the population is less than three thousand. Okay. And there's not one traffic light. Mm. So you get a real feel. Um, it's not really busy. I was going to say it's one of the less touristy then. Probably the least touristy. The least touristy island, yeah. Wow, beautiful. So then... Um, I went on a wellness retreat there. Okay. Yeah, I went a few years ago by myself. And then I went um, just um, the beginning of this year. I went with my cousin Harland Williams, who's a comedian. A comedian. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I didn't know this, but he... I didn't uh, know you guys were cousins. Yeah. I I did read it on somewhere, but I was like, oh, wow, what a connection. Yeah, our mothers are sisters. Okay. And he's older than me, but um, he was telling people, and I didn't know this, but telling people where we were that I was his son and that I'd (laughs) recently won thousands of dollars on Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) And so I'd brought him on this trip. And so I'd have, like, the waitress would say, hey, congratulations, it's so nice you, you know, brought your dad here. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Amazing. That is incredible. What a good story. So was he on the wellness retreat with you, or was this you went back with him? Uh, No, he was on the wellness retreat with me on this this second time. Yeah. which was cool. I got to see the Green Church again and shoot yeah. a little video to coincide with this this record. Just yeah. a coincidence. But Harland, uh, whereas I was really into meditations mm-hmm. and uh, he wanted to do all the like, let's go zip lining and yeah. rent a jeep and <laughs> yeah, know, he wanted to do all that stuff. I've always been curious about the wellness retreats because um, they seem. I mean, they seem incredible. I, almost, I I thought about doing one when. My dad passed away six years ago, mm-hmm. and I thought about just to get away and doing like a surf and yoga, something like that. Um, but I've always been very curious about them, and anyone who's been on one has always told me they're well worth every penny. Yeah, yeah it's the, one of the best trips I've ever done. Mm-hmm. If you, yeah, I'll give you the info if you want to. Yeah, especially in Hawaii, it seems like, you know. Well, I told I learned about this wellness retreat from the director of the AGO, Stefan Yost, mm-hmm. who used to live there. And I told him, I said, thanks so much for the recommendation. He goes, I love that hike up in the hills there because I feel like I'm thousands of miles away from everything. Mm-hmm. And then I realize, oh, I am. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful spot. If I do ever go, I'm going to ask you where the green church is so okay. I can find it. <laughs> What we what you had brought out before we started the interview, um, and is a really cool aspect to this album as well, is that the artwork is also improvised, mm-hmm. um, and by Willow Downey, the the, the daughter of, of Gord Downey, mm-hmm. um, and she painted it while she listened to the music. Um, so tell me a little bit about how that collaboration came to be. Sure. Well, I met Willow while working with Gord on The Secret Path Mm -hmm. and uh, just sort of witnessing her blossoming as an artist the last few years. And her work was also used on um, the record that that Josh Finlinson did with Gord called Away Is Mine. Mm -hmm. And so I was like looking for something for this record and I love that it's abstract it doesn't give you a narrative or anything there's no story it's just kind of like the music Mm -hmm. you can just kind of float into it or whatever and uh, so I asked her if she'd do it and she painted while she listened to the test pressing of the record so Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's a good fit it is a very good fit yeah and uh, she sent me a few different options. Sorry to okay. interrupt. Yeah, she no. sent me like four different color schemes, but I liked this one because I, I said the record was made in the winter. So can you do like winter mm. kind of colors? And I think it fits that way. That's what I was actually going to say. Was there anything you kind of discussed beforehand on, on any kind of direction or whatever? But um, that was about yeah. it. But I, I, I told her, I think you'll know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it turned out, I mean, it turned out beautifully, and it, it does really go with with the music. Um, I thought so anyways as well. So Thanks. Yeah, I, I get a, a lot of... Pick. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, um, I really enjoy that part of the process, mm-hmm. like choosing artwork for the, the record. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, do you do any kind of visual art yourself, or...? Yeah, I like to draw. Do you? Yeah, yeah. me too. Oh, um, you do? Yeah, oh, it was, okay. my first career choice was to be an illustrator. Um, and I didn't end up. Did we just become that, best friends? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So you like to do illustrations as well, or yeah, I yeah, love drawing. Yeah, yeah. That was my first, my first love. My first art was was drawing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Are any? Yeah, I did that. Of, I was gonna say, are any of the pieces around here? Yeah, that's that's when I did. Yeah. Wow. I did these sharks, Shark Mountain here. <laughs> okay. Oh, really? Okay. 
Yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah. But. And some of the other pieces I'm going to ask you about, because it kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about next. Okay. And that was um, last year you released uh, a soundtrack um, for a documentary you were also a part of, which was called There Are No Fakes. Yeah. Um, which is a very, uh, very important project and documentary. Um, tell me, I'll, I'll let you describe it to the listeners, uh, but tell us a little about the film and the soundtrack. Okay. Have you, you saw the film? I haven't seen, no, I only, oh, okay. I only read about it yesterday, so I would like to see the film, but I watched the trailer Okay, so and read about what it was about. Yeah, in 2005, I, I bought a painting at a Yorkville gallery by an artist named Norval Morisot, who's widely regarded as, uh, a, well, a very important indigenous painter mm-hmm. in Canada. And um, in 2010, I was asked to guest curate a show at the AGO, and they hung that painting and then a few days later, I was told they had to take the painting down because they thought it was fake. And so I ended up going on this journey trying to figure out what the truth was mm-hmm. about it and accidentally ended up, up uncovering what they're saying is the largest art fraud ring in Canadian history. So, But the people I met along the way uh, were just so like both against me and as allies yeah. were so interesting. I, um, I was contacted by my friend Jamie Kastner, who's a documentary filmmaker, but we went to high school together, Okay, played in a high school band together for a few weeks. And uh, he wanted to meet me uh, to discuss doing a um, documentary about Lou Reed. Mm-hmm. And this was not too long after Lou had passed, and I wasn't really interested in yeah. that. Um, but I had the newspaper article talking about my fraud case and the art case, and I said, you got to read this, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Like, this story needs to be told. You're not going to believe it. And mm-hmm. he didn't. He was like, this is insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, just, you know... So he did some more research, and the more he researched, he was like, yeah, this, this story is incredible. Mm-hmm. And so we got funding from TVO. Mm-hmm. And and I believe you can watch the, the whole film on TVO. Yeah. Um, like, on, like you can stream it. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's on iTunes, or I think it's even like YouTube if you mm-hmm. go TVO. Yeah, that's, what I, that's I found it yesterday, yeah. Okay. It's not an easy film, and it, it goes no. way beyond art fraud into much darker subjects. But they're all topics that are, I think, part of the conversation that we're needing to have. Mm-hmm. It's kind of being thrust up into the light, you know, which is um, how awful the indigenous people have been treated. Mm-hmm. And um, it goes on and on. So I think this, this film was a... A, you know, important entry into that discussion. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm planning to watch, like I said, I only found out about it yesterday, so I watched what I could, and um, yeah, I, I had no idea any of this, and I, I imagine the average person wouldn't. Neither did I. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, you had a piece, and so did it turn out to be fake, or, or is that, I don't want to spoil anything from the film for those who haven't seen it, but... Well, it's fake. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but to prove that was very difficult. Right. And um, but the film was the catalyst for a, f- a full investigation by mm-hmm. the OPP, which really? is ongoing, and they have made a lot of progress, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. So there will be more news about it. Okay. Down the That's down the road to... a little bit. So tell me, like I'm looking around and I see quite a few pieces of indigenous art mm-hmm. around here. So tell me about couple of the pieces you have here. Tell me, specifically, tell me about the massive one above the piano. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a Norval Morisot. That is a Norval, yeah, okay. It's called Shaman's Dream. Okay. And he painted that um, around 1992-93, just before he was stricken with sort of debilitating illness that he couldn't really paint anymore after that. So this was sort of in his last period mm-hmm. of uh, productivity. For painting, 
Um, can you see that one up there with the, the fish? Yeah. Yeah. That was the first. Um, that is um, some, an Inuit artist named Pudlo Pudlat. And uh, I bought that one and another one in that room of his. Okay. And it reminded me sort of of uh, Yellow Submarine or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. always loved those drawings. Yeah, 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 of course. And so I really kind of fell in love with the artists from Kate Dorset mm-hmm. or Kinniget, as it's now called. But um, that sort of led me into... I'd always loved Norval Morriso's work. I don't think I ever dreamed I'd own uh, an original painting of his, but, you know, the band had some success, and so I've, I'm grateful that I can sort of be the custodian for a bit. Oh, it is. It's a... So tell me, actually, tell me how the the soundtrack then lent to the film. Oh, right. Well, the soundtrack was my way of being involved in the film because we, we wanted to present an unbiased uh, version of the story. Mm-hmm. And so Jamie sort of took the wheel. Um, but I was involved in the sense that I, um, well, I was very involved because the whole story sort of came from what I had uncovered but I did the soundtrack and I did it with Hugh Marsh and Chris Gartner and Gavin Brown and my engineer Kenny Long and we did it up at my cottage and it was a very it was like a week of 10 hour days just trying to get it done before I went on tour Mm -hmm. but it was I had a monitor set up beside the piano and I would play along to the interviews and these were all characters and people who I was aware of Mm -hmm. and sort of aware of their experiences. It was very emotional in a way. I I cried a few times. Mm -hmm. Uh, The stories are so harrowing but it was uh, again very cathartic and I think I was the right man for the job. You know? Yeah. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, Well, you had, I mean coming from your back but also having you know such significance in the film itself um, I think so yeah but also you know another interesting thing about um, what I do like I work with Bare Naked Ladies and one big aspect of our shows is humor and mm-hmm. lightness and yes. some levity. Yeah. Um, but then I go work with Lou, and then we're doing the opposite. Opposite. Yeah, a song yeah. called Heroin. Yeah. And playing like my life depended on it. Yeah. You know, so I feel I what I enjoyed about doing the soundtrack for there there are no fakes is uh, it was quite dark, but in a creative way you can really dig into that mm-hmm. you know like there's no well, shortage drawing of... on a different emotion then yeah know? yeah yeah and, and then that... it's kind of maybe a bit of a relief when you go back to working with bare naked ladies <laughs> a little bit <laughs> a little bit yeah. lightheartedness yeah 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 but that has its craft too you of know of course it does yeah but it goes back to what you asked me about Lou and I you know I loved that he would address darker subjects mm-hmm. in in the human experience and so you know, there are no fakes. Is one of those projects yeah. where it's like in that zone for me. Well, I think I have time for you. Kind of actually touched on my last question already, and that's yeah. that. You know, this these projects. I mean, you're these aren't your first solo records. I mean, you've been putting out solo records since like '97. Mm-hmm. Um, well, how's your process different when you're writing music for yourself um, than writing music with bare naked ladies? Uh, well, bare naked ladies, you know, there's there's sort of parameters, mm-hmm. you know, like it's. I know, like when I was writing songs about my cancer experience, mm-hmm. even though you you can write it in a way that addresses it in a universal sense, it might not fit on a bare naked ladies record. Right. So yeah. I know it's like okay, this is this is over here, mm-hmm. you know, and and. I can be as adventurous as I want, you know. I, I pay for my own records. I make the ones I want, and mm-hmm. I I feel very free that way. And um, so I'm lucky. Yeah, for sure. Uh, has there ever been that you can think? Has there ever been a? I just thought it was now. Has there ever been a idea or something that was even for the bare naked ladies was too silly? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like. Uh, um. 
on our last record, I had a song called Bylaw. Okay. Cause, yes. Yeah. Because of COVID, we were sort of isolated from each other, and yeah. I, I um I had an opera singer, my friend Michael Colvin, sing at the end of it, mm-hmm. and um, received mixed reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but that was on the record. Yeah, that was on the record. I remember, I, I remember that song Bylaw. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, I was trying to, I tried to, it was unfortunate because I, did you guys end up getting to do any of those Christmas shows last year? Uh, we did, we did eight and had to cancel eight. I yeah. 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 Cause it was right around that time that everything kind of got mixed up again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, cause I remember I was, Christina, who was the one who set us up, mm-hmm. we were trying to work on maybe doing something then with you guys. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, with the band. With the band. Oh. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we can down the line. I hope so. I think things are, I mean, I don't want to knock wood, you know, are on the up now, but <laughs> yeah, Anyways. let's hope. It yeah. That's it. Predictable. That's yeah. That's it. And now there's another war going on. It's like, I know it's like, just nonstop. Yeah. Well, let's not end it on that kind of, okay. Dark. No, let's, <laughs> <laughs> should we talk about Muppets again to yeah. finish this? <laughs> <laughs> I do the Swedish chef, Miedish Mirdi Borski Borski Bor. Also, also one of the greatest, and I think one of the most underappreciated characters yeah. is the Swedish chef because <laughs> the brilliance of him having human hands. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, he was amazing. You mentioned there's one of my favorite, one of my favorite Swedish chef moments. There was a uh, Muppets Christmas movie uh-huh. where they brought in the Sesame Street characters as well. Okay. I think it was just one of the small films they put out, but there's. They all go to like Fozzie's mom's house and he's going to make the turkey, but the turkey is also a character. He's a Muppet. And so the turkey's like trying to talk the chef out of cooking him basically. And then he says, well, you think I'm nice and juicy. Have a look at this. And he opens the door and like Big Bird's there. And then like literally Swedish chef just like throws all his, <laughs> his my, that's the moment I always remember of Swedish chef the most. But, awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's like something like Muppets. It's one of the Muppets Christmas specials or whatever, okay. but yeah. How about the Dr. Teeth band? That one, I have a Dr. Teeth shirt. You do? Yeah, oh, I have one jazz. that I'm, uh, I actually recently bought because we're, my girlfriend and I are going to Coachella this year, actually. Oh, cool. And it's going to be one of my Coachella Day shirts. <laughs> I've seen yeah, it the elect- ahead. I like it. Yeah, the Electric <laughs> Mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. I Didn't have, they do a live show or something? I think they did, or I think they, I think the Muppets did Coachella or something oh, one year, or yeah. Lollapalooza or something like that one How year. How cool would that be? It would be super cool. Yeah. Um, I have uh, one of my COVID purchases, like right in that first lockdown, was I bought, um, I'm a drummer, and I bought, oh, are you? yeah, oh, I okay. bought uh, a set of V drums. Okay. And I have a animal, a little animal. Um, attached to my V drums <laughs> for inspiration. Uh, yeah, there you go. It's a so little that, animal in all of us. That's it. So yeah. this podcast is now for Kevin Hearn fans, bare naked lady fans and Muppet fanatics. <laughs> but Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much for having me again over. Um, this is a great chat and I hope we can do something again. Yeah. Sometime. It was a pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Adamantium Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd absolutely love for you to subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to your podcast. I'd also love to see you on social media. You can follow on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Thank you again so much for listening.